Welcome to the Rit Nerds Podcast, episode number six, part B, with our second part of our interview with Jeff Alter out of the Florida Rapid Intervention Operations Group. Uh, we had to split our podcast in two because we ran out of space and uh, we didn't want to cut anything out of it. So we'll go ahead with uh, repeating Jeff's intro and pick up with the second half of our interview. Jeff started his career in the fire service in 1976 as a volunteer firefighter and became a paid firefighter working at Martin County Fire and Rescue, then moving on to Marion County Fire and Rescue and finishing his career at Seminole Tribe Fire Rescue in 2015. He was a backstepper, a driver, a lieutenant, a battalion chief, a district chief, an assistant chief, and finally a deputy chief of operations. He spent 20 years on one of Florida's Type 1 incident management teams as a team safety officer, responding to wildfires and hurricanes and all sorts of other hazards. Recognizing the need around the state that something had to be done to get people back on track in training and believing in the RIT concept, he developed an idea of holding a statewide RIT competition at the Fire Rescue East Conference and to do it on the show floor. In 2012, Jeff helped start the Florida Rapid Intervention Operations Group, otherwise known as FROG, and they are now in their eighth year. The first year they had six departments compete. This year they had 30 teams and had to turn away four teams because of time constraints. If you haven't seen them, check out their Facebook page and for more information, uh, reach out and contact them. Their contact information's posted up on their Facebook page. And that's enough of me talking and let's get started. Okay, well, uh, in closing, I guess one thing I wanted to talk to you about, Jeff, is uh, you had a mayday on a fire ground yourself in your career, if you didn't mind talking about that and sort of leading us through uh, your position during that time, what happened, what your role was for the mayday itself, and what the uh, major takeaways were, both good and bad. And well, this particular, let me see. This particular one was uh, an apartment building. Uh, I think there were 16 units, eight on the bottom, eight on the top. And uh, crew went in. And one of the things, this was a new department for me. I had only been there about six months. And one of my, one of my rules that I preach is you don't go in and do search and I know it goes contrary to some mindset but you take a hose line with you and these guys went in to do a search on the bottom floor in an apartment that was the fire uh, that and they got hit with a flashover and didn't have a hose line with them and uh, they declared a bay day. We were able to, uh, they were almost, by the time that the, you know, we were able to get writ uh, to the door, they were right at the door. So it was basically just reach in, grab them and pull them out. They were minor injuries, nothing, nothing serious. Um, but the lesson learned from that was two things. One, why I preach taking a hose line with you. Number two, the biggest thing was that the RIT team worked exceptionally well because when they got off the truck, 
They had all their gear on. They had their mask. They had their mask on, uh, and they were standing at the door with a, an, a well, actually, right outside the door with another charged hose line. So you know they they did their job. Um, my old department had an issue. Uh, gosh, now it's uh, 2010, I think it was. So it's 10 years ago. Firefighter, they were doing a search in a in a thing, and we had just finished. Uh, I'd left that department in 2008, but in 2007, we did a year's worth of training at an old abandoned Holiday Inn. And nice. We spent almost a month on writ training. Beautiful. We, Ron knows all about acquired. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we weren't allowed to burn the building, but we were able to do anything we wanted to because they were going to take it all down to the ground, but we Fantastic. weren't allowed to put fire in it. So we set up a couple of writ scenarios and every night uh, we did our training at night, which is really cool. And we did even some of the training where the uh, ladder was working doing something they were doing ventilation and then somebody declared a may day and they came to a window and the ladder had to quickly reposition and they had to come down the ladder so we gave our ladder trucks a lot of work on you know repositioning and doing stuff uh, but they had a kid get up to the top of the stairwell and the fire flashed and he panicked and he ripped his mask off and uh, he was severely burned. He, his, his crew saw it and they called the May Day. And the team outside had him out in under three minutes. Wow. That's good. And the reason being is, and, and I was told by the, by the guy that was leading the RIT team, he goes, he credited back to the training that they'd done. You cannot overemphasize enough training, realistic training, training that that doesn't just teach you the skill, but also embeds it in your memory so that it becomes second nature. And so I don't know, are either one of you guys medics? I am not. Okay. Well, we do takes... first aid, but we don't do, uh, we don't, we, we're not paramedics. We don't transport patients here. Yeah, just EMT first responder type yeah. deal. Well, okay, take you, even your EMT skills. You know, when you first get your license and everything, you look at patients and you're, 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 you're strained like hell the first year trying to remember everything. The right. second year, it gets really easy. The third year, you can walk in and, okay, this guy's having difficulty breathing. This is this. This is this. It becomes second nature to you. Think about that. Just like on the fire side, when you pull up and you look at a structure, you've learned how to read smoke over the years. You can tell if this is in the incipient phase or this is free burning or things like that. Well, it's the same thing with RIT. We haven't gotten to that point where it's second nature to us. We're still in the infancy of RIT and RIT's been around for what, 15, 20 years? Yeah. And we yeah, still think... look at RIT like it's something new. Well, we should OSHA, be past this. OSHA was 98, I think. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I mean, NFPA 1407 didn't come out until 2010. So. Right. And now the new, when you look at the new standard, what is it, 1474, I think it is? 
Right. Okay, at 1474, they give you all the things and, and give you all this information, but we still haven't gotten past that this is something new. We're still treating it like it's not new. Right. You know? And we should be past this now. We should not have uh, crews that running around like chickens without a head. We should, we should, <laughs> you know, we should have, and we're just not training on it. We're just not training the right ways on it. And it's not a department wide. And, I, and it goes back to, to me, it goes back to the fire chief. If the fire chief says this should happen, it usually carries through the department, but it's right. not happening because it's not a priority for the chief. Well, you know, it kind of frustrates me because I, I agree completely. But if you look at some of our trade journals or magazines, I should say, some of our top magazines that are out there, you know, they're on to the new drone program or, you know, building apparatus or um, you have a whole magazine dedicated, a month dedicated to building firehouses. And then you look for the training sections in that magazine of that same issue. And honestly, there's nothing worth reading. And not that it's, we're not worth reading, but there's no real um, focus on the training aspect or the teachable moments anymore. These, these trade journals that are coming out, not all of them, but the majority of them are really focused on, uh, you know, providing information for chiefs you know, and it's, it's very, yeah, it's very frustrating. It's very ad driven, very, um, it's all about the money. I can't think of the word. Yeah, pretty much. I know what you're talking and, about. It's, it, you it's, know, it's, it's amazing when it's like that, that, that meme that went around for a while. If you can't, if you can't pull a second hose line, then you shouldn't be investing in a drone program. Right. right? Like, <laughs> well, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a story I was training chief and I don't know if you guys have ever had to sit through a strategic planning section oh yeah okay oh. and we sat through two days of a strategic planning session me and my two training officers and at the time my department was 330 guys and uh, we sat there you know we had the had an easel and everything like that and i had a blank sheet over there and the fire prevention bureau gets up and they talk about all the things that they're going to do and then the ems chief gets up there and he throws all the things he's going to do over the next you know five years and you know the chief of operations throws everything up there and then they get the training and i get up and i walk over and i pull this blank sheet and i flip it over and there's a blank sheet and the Chief looks at me and goes, what the hell did you do for two days? I, <laughs> no. I said, it's not what I didn't do. I said, it's what Chief so-and-so, Chief so-and-so, and Chief so-and-so did. And he looks at me strange. I said, nothing, absolutely nothing in the fire service occurs without a training component attached to it. Right. We can't change. He wants to go to a new EMS reporting system. Well, how's that going to be rolled out? I have to do it. I have to train the people how to put the reports in. The chief wants this. I've got to do it. So it doesn't matter what I want to do as a training officer. 
I've got to train everybody to do what you want to do. It's a good reality. I mean, it, it, and it's a truth, you know, we're, we're, we get caught up in a lot of the minutia out there and we got to boil it down to what's really the problem. You know, I was asked one time what my hardest thing to do as a training officer. And I said, it's to train 330 people to do one thing, 330 different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it it does all i mean we keep coming back to right it's training 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 realistically yep. training enough it it you see it everywhere it, like you're talking about ron we're getting so carried away it comes down even to apparatus now when you look at them people are buying these trucks for all hazard response and then you look at it and go well the hose is in a terrible place to deploy you've got your two and a half the only two and a half you can get is 12 feet in the air i mean you got people climbing on bumpers in order to actually get to any two and a half inch hose lines. You've got yep. like it it's it's crazy uh that we've started to it always baffles me that we go to these salespeople and we let them dictate to us the rigs, the tools and everything else. But a lot of the time those salespeople have no experience in the field. Like it just seems baffling to me that we let people who don't do any of the stuff we do tell us what we need. Um, rather than us going to them and saying, hey, 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 wait a minute. I need this, this, and this. Get it for me or I go somewhere else. Like, yeah. uh, it's crazy. And it, 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 it baffles me on how many people you encounter that are uncomfortable in SCBA. What does that tell you? If you're uncomfortable in SCBA, you, you need that to do your job, let alone anything else. You, you can't right. do your job without an SCBA. That thing should be like, the back of your hand, it, you, you should put it on and not even notice it's there. You should be so comfortable with it. Yeah, right. absolutely. Absolutely. And we find this in, in our training that we do for the, for our competition, that guys do not understand their air packs, you know? Yeah. Well, not even, not even that it, it goes back to, I think sometimes what our gear, you know, understanding the limits of your gear, including your air pack, you know, what, what can you really do with it to accomplish certain things? And um, don't get me started I, I, on that one. <laughs> you know, well, when I, when I started in the fire service, I wore, a, uh, I did have a leather helmet, but I had hip boots. Oh yeah. I had a long canvas coat. And whenever I went into on a structure fire, I had something that protected me. It was called my ears. Because I knew when I was getting in trouble. Yep. Today we cocoon firefighters in gear that withstands 1,500 degrees. They've got Nomex hoods. They got gloves. They got everything, you know, that withstands all this. And we're going deeper into structures, and we haven't changed our tactics to keep up with the technology that we have created. I think I think it's almost worse than that. Uh, Chief Stearns and Andy Stearns talks about it really well but i think it's it's even worse than that i think we've changed our gear to go like all you said but we have changed our tactics uh with the push to not apply water till we see the flames and all that whereas back before if you waited that long to apply water your, your ears burned off so you open the bale nice and soon like uh aaron fields and, and so many others are getting back to that saying hey we we got to open that line we can't we can't wait to feel the heat because as you say, Jeff, we, we feel it too late now because of our gear. 
we, we need to understand that that bale needs to open a lot sooner than uh, the latest generation or two of firefighters was ever taught. Like I, I was specifically seeing crawl through the heat, crawl, 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 then open it later. And it wasn't until recent years, last five, six years, from people like Aaron Fields and that explaining it the other way. Like, are you crazy? Like, no. Um, so I think it's almost worse. We, we changed our tactics and our gear, but we changed our tactics to a worse situation. Not only are we saturating our gear in tons of heat now um, and not cooling the fire, but that means we're not cooling the fire for anybody that's in the building that we're there to help uh, as soon as we could. So it, it, I agree with you wholeheartedly that PPEs, uh, it's great. It got so much better for us, but it allowed us to get complacent and uh, forget our objective a little bit. And, and there's a strong push now by so many people out there to come back around to that water application, which is fantastic. Um, right. and, and I think it's taken hold. But I, I'm, I'm so old school on many things, but um, to me, smoothbore nozzles have their place. You know, and I may be controversial in this, you know, if I'm, I'm looking at a high rise or I'm looking at a long hallway in an apartment building, the smooth bore, you know, to keep the puppies, whoppies and guppies out of, out of my line, but give me a good combination nozzle and I'll fight more fire than most people with a smooth bore will ever think about because I know I was trained how to use it properly. We've gotten away from training. You can always bring everything. It goes full circle back to our training. Right. You know, it, it, I'm sorry. It's just, to me, that's the, if I was going to start a fire department today, the first thing I would do is hire a training division. That's the most important thing. Because good point. Very good point. Because we, who's, who gets bastardized the most in every department? Fire prevention. Yeah and training yep they get cut the first yep and let me tell you something that's where the rubber meets the road if guys aren't trained to do their job uh i don't want to uh, belabor it but uh the kid the uh young man <laughs> everybody's younger than me that took my <laughs> job in, in in my old department um uh, They've got a really big area that they use for training. It's undercover. And I asked them if I could set the maze up uh, there so I could do some maintenance work. And uh, the chief was all about it and everything like that. So we did. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I don't need this thing until January. So for July and August, you guys can practice in the maze, you know, and train with it. And I'll spend some time with you and show you how to, you know, how everything works. This is my old department, and I was gone eight years. Everybody that went on that course died. They all ran out of air. Hmm. They never even made it to the victim, and they ran out of air because wow. of the, the new policies that the, not this fire chief that's there now, but the old fire chief that was after me, put in place they didn't do any fire training none remember yeah 85 percent of what we do is routine mundane crap 14 percent is hey you know what we got to really work a little bit one percent <laughs> oh my god and that one right. percent 
is what kills firefighters. I don't care if it's an EMS call, hazmat call, or a fire call. That one percent, and and we're not training on that one percent, because if you train on that one percent, the other ninety nine is easy. It's a great back perspective. To, it goes back to Dennis Laguerre has a great. I, I always refer to him when we sort of get down this. He talks about the naturalization of deviancy, and uh, if we determine success as uh, essentially as we determine success as everybody went home and the fire went out. Um, then we aren't progressing or changing. I mean, technically under that definition, we could let the whole city burn down. But as long as we evacuated everyone, um, then it was a good fire because, hey, the fire went out because the city burned down. There's nothing left to burn. Nobody got hurt because we evacuated everybody. So uh, you start to allow, if you only ever determine your training on that, that 80%, that 85% that you talked about of the routines, then and consider all that always as good and never prep yourself for that one percent then you're just always going to get worse and worse and worse and be less and less prepared for that one percent as time goes on um he, he does a very good job of describing that that makes sense jeff i got one last question for you here um, sure is there anything whether it's technique um or a piece of equipment or the way they just did something that you've seen over the years in your competition that you really went wow that made the difference and was very um like spot on um hmm. there's been a lot um Hmm. That's a that's a tough question, huh? <laughs> uh, I mean, like conversions, uh, you know, use of a webbing or a standard practice that we teach for like a basic RIT class all the time that just it worked over and over again, or you know what I mean? It was, um, I think it was more of the technique that this one team employs on how they make the uh, transfill connection. Okay. They really have a, a, they have it down pat, you know, because as we were saying earlier, you know, if you're sitting around the kitchen table, it's easy to make the connection. But when you've been crawling through and working, your uh, physical dexterity and gloves is totally different. But these guys have, have developed a way of one hand cupping the connection, bringing their other hand to it so that it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, think about an opening and you're putting this end here and when they their hands meet all he does is rotate his hand up and push down and he makes the connection almost every single time really yeah you know instead of you know trying to you know your hand is shaking because of you know all the physical things like that and you're trying to hit this target you know, the guy cups his hand around it and, and basically gives him a target. He knows where it is because he's got his hand on it first. I see people, you know, grabbing the air pack and holding it steady and then trying to feed this opening onto this, you know, thing. And every one of them misses or they push it on and it pops right back off because they didn't have it pulled back far enough. I mean, yep. they may lose... 15 seconds but he takes his time he makes sure he's got it pulled all the way back he makes sure of this and then you know and every year these guys are like dead on they get it 
first time every single time. Right. You know, and the other thing that I noticed is they teach the Denver drill so that it makes it easy to lift dead weight up. And um, in the last two years, we've had two all female, oh, actually three all female teams of firefighters compete. Okay. And most of the guys muscle the guy out because they figure that's the best way to do it. The girls, they don't have the muscle power or to just muscle a, a mannequin out. Especially, you know, uh, it's 175 pounds and full bunker gear, boots, and an air pack. They use the technique of putting somebody down, you know, and doing the whole thing. They get them out faster than the guys do if you count from the time that they start to the time that the victim is out the window. I think they do it faster because they use the technique because they don't have the muscle, but their technique is perfect and they get the victim out. Right. And guys have a tendency to just reach in and grab them. And, you know, some people have been upset at us because when you, you know, take the guy out, you throw him on the ground instead <laughs> of, you know, that and they want to know why they were penalized. I said, well, you threw him 30 feet across the floor. He was yeah. fine until, until then. You know, now yeah. he's, you know, now he's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. I, I see that what you're talking about with the technique too is a big place to see all the time is forcible entry when we're teaching that. The students that take the time to set up the play and and focus on that technique by the end of day one, even by lunchtime, they're forcing doors way faster than the ones that just get angry just go red in the eyes and start going crazy and berserk on on tools and reefing things all over the place that, that take five seconds now save five minutes later just right yeah. make haste make haste slowly slow is fast <laughs> you know yeah. if you if you deliberately do things and and let's relate it back to our writ training we're not doing the slow methodical from a to z training on writ we're teaching guys how to, you know, rescue a victim and drag them out, but we're not teaching the incident commanders how to manage the writ incident. I would love to put a I would love to put a class together. Uh, when we did the training at the Holiday Inn, uh, I had St. Lucie County Fire Rescue, City of Stewart, and Martin County, and we had forty-two firefighters at the training rotation, three battalion chiefs. And in the middle of this, you know, we gave them, okay, we've got a ladder, you know, we had three ladders there. Uh, okay, gave them three places. They had to ventilate and everything. We had crews searching and everything all over this hotel. And one of my training officers, they were 15 minutes into it. And then my training, one of my training officers goes, mayday, mayday, mayday. <laughs> We threw a mayday in there. And it's the first time that those battalion chiefs had a mayday in a live scenario with 42 people to work with. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it just, you know, we, we did that four times that we got all three departments through it. But, you know, that's the kind of training that the incident commanders need. 
right. because there were still victims in the hotel that they had to rescue. And now you had a firefighter with a mayday that you had your incident within the incident. How do we divide that up? And we bastardize incident command so much in the fire service, not like in the wildland where they use every aspect of it. We only use what? Incident commander, we might use divisions, we use an ops chief, we might safety use safety officer, you know, and a safety officer. But after yep. that, we don't use it. So they had to immediately make a decision who's going to run the fire, who's going to, you know, so then one battalion chief ran the fire, the other battalion chief ran the writ, and one battalion chief stayed in command. Nice. A lot of shoes to fill. Yeah. Well, we don't, most of the time in the fire service, we never complete or fill out our incident command. And you know, as well as I do, if, if you're the incident commander and you don't assign people to do stuff, you're it. Yep. And then have a May Day on top of it and then try to run the whole thing. You know, yeah. here, here in Florida, a lot of times we get, uh, we have some controversy going on that we've discussed on our Facebook page about changing radios, radio channels. Because a lot of departments have that SOP that, you know, if the May Day's declared, then, you know, uh, does the May Day switch channels or does everybody else switch channels? The, you know, discipline on the radio. Think about it. When there's a May Day, who's, who, who has enough discipline to sh shut the hell up and let that guy <laughs> talk or girl talk? Yeah. I, I often fight with this too. Um, you know, I have great discussions with some of my friends about it. You know, are we changing channels? Are we not changing channels? Who's changing channels if, if we are? And, um, you know, I like to hear your thoughts on it. But mine are the Mayday firefighters already so focused on either trying to get themselves out or get that information out in the form of a Mayday. Or they're unconscious or trapped and they can't get that information out. All they can do is hit their man down button. So how are they going to be, or why would they be changing channels? Yeah, our, our policy has always been, or my, my philosophy is, the May Day does not change channels. The May Day caller does not change channels. If there is something, okay, you make everybody else on scene switch. One of the things that, that I instituted at one of the departments was if there was a mayday called, if there were two blasts of the air horn, if we weren't fighting fire at the time, you know, or have, you know, to protect the, the mayday, everybody had to evacuate and come to the command post so that you gather control of people. Because you know as well as I do, if the RIT team is going in everybody's going to look and say well you know pete and charlie they don't know shit you know i can do better <laughs> you know and, and everything yep. and that's how the self-deployments keep going but if you bring them to a point and make them stand there and then you give them job assignments that's the key is give people something to do so they're not standing around in other words okay rit team one is in okay i want you 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 and you Go ahead and change your bottle out. Go get your gear on. Report back to the front door. You know, Chief So-and-So is there. Be ready to go in and, you know, get them out. 
okay? You, I want you to do this. And when you start giving people something to do again, that's the secret to the incident commander or the guy that's running the writ is he's got to give people an assignment so that they're not free thinking. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so uh, just to close out here, Jeff, would you just want to sort of do a shameless plug here for yourself or just tell uh, people about uh, your group? in your competition, where they can find out more info, uh, how maybe they can get in touch with you uh, about the competition or anything re related, get some of the coolest stickers uh, that I've seen anyways. I'm, I'm, working, on, I'm working on one for you. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on it. it. Yes. My, my brother's a frog fanatic, so it'll make him jealous. Okay. But, uh, uh, yeah, if you want to just let people know how they can get a hold of you. Uh, where they can find out more about the competition, how they can enroll in the competition. Um. Well, the best thing is is our Facebook page at Florida Rapid Intervention Operations Group on Facebook. Uh, we post a lot of the new things uh, that we're doing and all of our competitions and videos are there. We also uh, have a webpage, floridaritoperationsgroup.org. Uh, that we've got a lot of good information on also. Uh, and uh, we'll be, uh, like I said, uh, we welcome anybody that wants to compete. It's not just for Florida. Uh, we have traveled to uh, Pigeon Forge and done a competition. We've been in Baltimore. Uh, you know, we will, we can, uh, the way our organization is, the way our group works is, we don't look to make, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but we don't look to make a fortune. Everybody that, uh, that works with us believes in paying it forward. So all we ever ask is pay our expenses to where it doesn't cost us anything. So you wanted me to go to Texas and put a program on in Texas, we'll come out and put a program on, but we just don't want to come out of pocket for it. We don't make any money, but you know, we just like to make our expenses. It's a reasonable it's request. It, it's about the brotherhood. Uh, it's about PTB, protecting the brothers. It's about right fire service. And um, everybody believes, you know, I've had a couple people want to join uh, our group and everything. And they're, you know, they're, one of their questions is, well, you know, what do we get paid? And I was like, you don't want to work for us. <laughs> if that's what you're worried about is getting money. Then you're in it for the wrong reason. Yeah. Right. Your mission and statement is not aligning. Yes. It, it's with true. your goals. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not about that. You know, um, we're doing a program in, uh, in Ocala and, we're going to we're going to have 20 teams compete. I've got 16 guys showing up, and we're only charging them four thousand dollars because that's what it costs us to put it on in Ocala. Not now, bad. No, for for the for the competition and the training that goes on and everything like that, it's not bad, you know, to do it. And we'll go to, you know, we've had some bids out, you know, for small departments. They want to 
they would like for us to, you know, come and do some training and we'll, we'll do whatever. It's about the job and it's about training guys so that if God forbid something happens to them, they can save their own. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. Nathan's tried to, uh, con us into forming forming a team and getting down there and uh, i think you guys should yeah, oh we should we absolutely should <laughs> get down there and get our butts kicked we'll be the team that runs out of air before we get to the patient whatever <laughs> we'll still do, have fun doing it <laughs> exactly yeah. so well jeff i appreciate you coming on um hopefully we could have you back on in a little while or uh in a couple episodes and i'm sure there's tons more we could talk about so any anytime guys i i thank you for what you're doing and uh all the training that you guys do and everything that you do for the fire service i thank you from the bottom of my heart uh i think it's great so appreciate that and I, and I appreciate you guys asking me you know an old fire dog to get on and roust around with you young kids <laughs> <laughs> Uh, James, you back? Yeah, just jumped on. I caught the tail end there, but uh, it sounds like you guys had a good discussion. I'm in, I'm excited to to actually listen to it when I when I get into the editing mode here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks, thank you, Jeff, for uh, being our first guest. Uh, it's it's been good to listen to you, and uh, and hear where where everything started uh, with your program. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to having you on again in the future and, and uh, actually getting to stay on the whole conversation. <laughs> no problem. I appreciate, like I said, I thank you guys for everything that you do. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm a, I, I hear nothing but kids screaming downstairs, so I better get down there before I get to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> same boat. All right, guys, have a good night. And you stay too. safe out there. You too. All right. Good All morning. Right. Thanks again, Jeff. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Jeff. If you're looking to get in touch with Jeff, you can reach him on Facebook, and you can also check out the Florida Rapid Intervention Operations Group page on Facebook. Sign up for next year's competition when the registration starts, and maybe we'll do a little meet and greet down there next year and set up a booth and we'll watch the competition maybe the Rittners will even take part we'll see what happens take care everyone